The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, well, welcome back. Uh, to our series here called uh, Major on the Minors. And during this time, what we're doing is we're looking at a group of books in your Bible, um, looking at a, a group of prophetic books in your Bible called the Minor Prophets. So in your Bible, you're going to have a, a, a group of prophets that are called the Major Prophets and, and a group called the Minor Prophets. Prophets, and as we talked about last week, it's important for us not to think about this like baseball, okay? Where you have your majors and you have your minors, um, because here's the reality: the minor prophets—they're not minor because they're minor in significance, or importance, or relevance, or any of that. Um, as we talked about last week, the minor prophets are minor in length. That's it. They are, uh, they're shorter. The minor prophets are shorter. They're, they're less long-winded than the major prophets, okay? And, and that's it. That's it. So when we are looking at the minor prophets, we're not looking at 40-plus chapters of, of writing, right? Um, in most cases, we're looking at two, three chapters. Uh, in our case today, church, we're looking at one single chapter, one single chapter. Today we're looking at the book of Obadiah. And, and Obadiah is one chapter, 21 verses. Uh, that, that's it. He's the minor of the minor prophets. Uh, shortest one that you're going to find. Uh, and that's what we're looking at today in these. In, in, he's direct, he's straight to the point uh, here in Obadiah. So Let's jump into Obadiah and let's start with a little bit of context. And when I say a little bit, uh, I mean it. I mean it because outside of this prophet's name of Obadiah, we know very little about Obadiah. We, we know very little about the man and, and the context surrounding him, but we also, you know, know very little about even the time, the when, um, when this book was actually written. Uh, we, have, we have several who believe that it's got a later date and, and several who believe it's written earlier. Um, but listen, rather than getting into the theories here about all of that, I, I will leave that to you in your personal study. But rather Getting in, then getting into all those theories here in, in about context, what I'd like to do is to focus in on what we do know. To focus in on what we what we do know. Here's what we know: we know that that Obadiah is is prophesying against one of Israel's neighbors, uh, one of Israel's neighbors, the Edomites or Edom. Um, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Uh, so if you remember Jacob and Esau, uh, Esau, uh, the Edomites were descendants from, from Esau. In fact, the word Edom uh, is the Hebrew word meaning red. 
That name comes from uh, Edom's forefather, Esau, who we know from, from Genesis, who was a, a hairy, a red-haired, hairy uh, man, right? And so they, they get their name directly from that. Um, and if you remember, Jacob and Esau have significant baggage, relational uh, baggage. And this relational strain was, was passed on to generation, one generation to another, and it was just passed on. So the Israelites and the Edomites, um, they've been in conflict their entire, their entire history. This conflict just kind of continues on through Jacob and Esau, on through Genesis, um, on through the Exodus and Numbers. We even see that the Edomites, they're not even going to let the people of Israel even pass through their land in Numbers. Um, you see it, you know, move through to the times of the kings where David and, and other kings are actually at war with Edom. I mean, this conflict goes on and on. It, it hadn't been a good relationship between the people of God and the, the, their neighbors to the south, the, the Edomites. Um, and here, Obadiah prophesies directly against uh, Edom. Now, typically in the prophets, here's what you're going to expect. Here's the message you would expect. Uh, something like this. Turn, repent, uh, turn back to God, and he's going to relent of the disaster that's coming, right? You're going to expect turn, repent, come back to God, because if you don't, destruction's coming. You're going to expect that from the prophets, but not our man, Obadiah. Uh, Obadiah is a little different, because Obadiah's message is simply, destruction is coming. I mean, that's, that's it. He's simply conveying this message to the people, telling them what is going to happen um, and what's going to take place. And by the way, just, just in case you're wondering, Obadiah's words do in fact come to pass. They, they, they happen. Obadiah's prophecy does in fact come true in regards to all that he said in a, and specifically in regards to Edom. Um, it all it all happens. So, uh, but now as we look at Obadiah's message, though, um, it is it's like any other book of the Bible. As we're reading Obadiah, um, it's like any other book in the Bible in in the sense that it's important to ask yourself as you're reading any book of the Bible, and as you're reading Obadiah, it's important to ask yourself um, in whose shoes do I place myself. Right, so whenever you're reading anything, it, it's it's important to understand who you are relating uh, to and, and with. Who uh, you're going to place yourself in in the in in someone's shoes as you're reading anything anything that you're reading, and, and so it's important to understand as you come to any book who you're actually uh, what perspective you're taking. Right, it's important to do that. So, for let's think about this in terms of Obadiah, because I think this is a great way for us to kind of pick this, this pick through this a bit. Um, for some of us, we can um, come to Obadiah's words and we can place ourselves in the shoes of, I'll call it the shoes of the historian. Uh, the shoes of the historian, where where you're going to read what happens. You're going to read 
about ancient Edom and ancient Israel. You're going to, I mean, these are real words delivered by a real person at a real place in real time about real events, uh, about things that really happen. So you're going to read, some of you are going to read these words here in Obadiah. And, and these are the shoes that you're naturally going to want to wear. You're, you're going to want to, to just read what happened historically. So for a moment, I want us all to slip on those shoes with you because I do believe there is some incredible um, comfort and it, there's some encouragement and incredible things that we can gain from this perspective of the historian. Um, and and here, here's why. Uh, three things, real quick. So as we slip on these shoes, there's three things we see here in Obadiah. One is that God has a plan. God has a plan. His plan is not going to be stopped. His plan is perfect. God has a plan. That's number one. Number two is that God's plan has a people. God's plan has a people that he's going to care for, that he's going to fight for, he's going to defend. So God's plan has a, a, God has a plan and God's plan has people. If you remember, or if you look in in Obadiah um, verse 15, um, it says the day of the Lord is near for all nations, right? Uh, This judgment that he's bringing to defend his people, right? So so God has a plan. God's plan has a people. And more than that, God's people have a future. God's People have a future. See, we're going to see at the last part of Obadiah in verse 19 through 21, um, Obadiah talking about the kingdom being restored for God's people, this forever kingdom. So as we slip on the shoes of the, the historian, as we just read this book as history here, um, we can be encouraged to see and, and, and to know that our God has a plan, that our, that our God's plan has a people, and that God's people have a future. Amen? Uh, we can be encouraged as we see and we know that. But, but listen, we, um, we can't stop there. We can't stop there. Um, if we only put on the historian's shoes, I think we might be tempted to be a bit too passive or academic as we approach uh, Obadiah, because here's the reality. This, this is the living word of God for us. And, and it's not just a, it's not only a history to just be studied and observed. Um, it's not only that, um, because hear me, there is a couple prominent themes that, that timeless truths that come out of Obadiah as we dig a little deeper into it. So for a moment, I want us to kind of take off the shoes of the historian and I want you to slip on the shoes of the Edomite. Okay, so so slip on those shoes because there's at least two timeless truths here that we see as we slip on the shoes of the, of the Edomites. Um, the first timeless truth that, that we see here is this. God hates pride. God hates 
pride. Now, notice with me how Obadiah begins uh, in, in verse, in verse 3. Um, says this, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Here's what's happening here, church. Edom had placed their security in other things. Edom uh, placed their security in these rock clefts that they enjoyed, and, and they were safe because of their great rocks. They were secure. They, no one could conquer us, right? No one will destroy us. This was the Edomites. I mean, um, by the way, take a look at this. Take a look at this with me. And you see this? These are some pictures of ancient Edom just carved right into this beautiful rock. Just carved right in. Talk about safe and, and impenetrable, right? I mean, if your walls are the mountain... <laughs> Um, who can bring you down? Who can bring us to the ground, as, as Obadiah says? Church, how many ways and how many times are we tempted to be exactly like the Edomites in this? Uh, see, we might not be placing our hope in rock clefts um, this morning, uh, but our jobs... Our, our savings accounts, our retirement, national security, our health. I mean, often we have safety nets for our safety nets. But please hear me with this, though. I, there's nothing wrong with savings accounts. There's nothing wrong with making healthy decisions. There's nothing wrong with wisdom or planning ahead. Uh, in fact, it's wise, okay? It's It's wise. Um, there's nothing wrong with wise living, okay? However, our hope, church, our hope, our ultimate security is not in any of those things. It can't be. I, I'm reminded of Job. In the book of Job, we read about um, Job faithful man, losing everything, just losing everything, all of his security. And, and Job, in, in the first chapter of Job, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'm going to return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You remember that? See, wisdom, yes. Wise living, yes. But pride, no. Job's confidence, church, was in the Lord. It, it, and through the thick and through the thin, his confidence was unshaken because it was in the Lord, the one who gives, the one who takes away. Now, for Edom, was it wrong for Edom to have their rock clefts? So of course not. Of course not. But the pride, 
the pride that would lead them to say and to think, hey, we don't need anyone. We don't need God. No one can bring us down. The pride to, that would lead them to say and to think that we are all that we need. I am all that I need. I have covered all my basis and no one and nothing can bring me down. Um, the pride to think that we are untouchable. Church, I will say it again. As we slip on these shoes of the Edomites, we see God hates pride. God hates pride because in our pride, we turn away from our creator and we turn to created things. God hates pride. And so church, I want us to just for this moment to search our hearts and, and do we have this pride? Do we, do we, where do we place church our confidence? Where do we place our confidence? I'm not preaching against wise living. Not preaching against savings accounts, okay? Um, but I am preaching against the pride in our hearts. I'm, I am preaching against the pride that would lead us to think, to lead us to think that we're untouchable, that we don't need God, that we've got this. I'm convinced that the, that the single most gracious thing that our God can do to the person who is consumed with this deadly pride is just to, by his grace, humble us um, for the salvation of our souls before the pride destroys us because our God hates pride. In fact, it, it, the scripture says that, that our God, he humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. Our God hates pride. So this is the first thing we see as we slip on the shoes of the Edomites. The, the second thing that we see, though, is this. God cares about what we do and about what we neglect to do. God cares about what we do, those things we do, and the things we neglect to do. Um, in theological terms, this is the sin of commission and omission. The sin of commission, meaning the things that we do, the sins we commit, right? That's the sin of the sins of commission. Um, and the sins of omission, the things that we are to do that we do not do, the things we omit, okay? That is the sins of omission. It's like James in chapter four of James. It says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, James 4, 4 uh, 17 says, for him it is a sin. That's the sin of omission. The way I think about it is the sin of action and the sins of inaction, Okay, the sins of our actions and the sins of inaction. In scripture, scripture speaks about both of these, these sins. And here in Obadiah, here in, in Edom, we see both of these things. We see both of these things. So in, in, verse, in verse 12, uh, we see, in verse 12, we see uh, gloating, we see rejoicing, we see boasting. All right, verse 13, we see them uh, looting and handing over Israel to destruction. In verse 15, we see uh, the scripture says, all that you have done, let it be done to you. Your deeds will be returned to you. This is what Edom has done. These are the sins of commission that they have committed. 
okay? The sins of action. But church, as we look at Obadiah, there is more. There is more. Um, Verse 11, uh, just listen to this. On that day, you stood aloof, says. So on that day, the day of devastation for Israel, Scripture says, Edom stood aloof. They did nothing. They watched. Um, This is what Edom did not do. The sin of omission, the sins of inaction. Um, and, And let me tell you, it's often these sins of omission that we seek so often to try to justify. Um, Maybe you've heard of this term, the term respectable sins. Have you ever heard of that? It's nonsense because sin is not respectable, right? Uh, But the idea here is that there are some sins that are just real nasty, real grotesque, that, that not many of us would ever argue to try to justify while there are other sins that we kind of seek to make them okay. Let me give you a terrible example. Um, Think about attacking an elderly woman walking down the street to steal her purse. I told you it was a terrible example. Um, But think about that. Um, Not too many people. Not, not too many people that I know at least would look at that action and say, you know what, that's really not all that bad. I'm not thinking that there's a lot of people that are going to come to the plate to defend that, to look at that and to justify it. Why? Because it's gross. It's, it's just not respectable, okay? Now, on the other hand, um, keeping with our terrible example, let's say you were standing near to the elderly woman as walking down the street as she was attacked and as um, her purse was, was stolen. Let's pretend you were standing near and you did nothing. You did nothing. I mean, you saw it and maybe you, uh, you pretended you got a, a phone call so you could turn away and justify you not doing anything. Um, that's bad. Okay, I, I don't want you to hear me wrong with this. I mean, that's bad, right? That you would do that, that you would turn, turn away. Um, but it's not like you attacked the, the, the elderly woman, right? I mean, um, you might even be able to, to, to justify. I mean, it's not like you attacked, you just did nothing. And you might be able to justify to yourself and maybe even try to justify to others why you didn't intervene in that situation right? Um, This is what I mean. See, the sins of inaction are often less gross than the sins of action. But here's the reality. In the eyes of our God, sin is sin. Sin is sin. And our God has, has, has not only called us to not do bad things, okay? But church, Our God has called us to do good, to do good. And to fail to do good is just as serious as doing bad. It is sin. It is sin. And this was, this was Edom. Again, church, how is this not applicable? I mean, um, 
we are faced with all kinds of issues today, of justice issues to be uh, specific here. And it's not enough for us to say, you know what, I haven't done injustice if we're failing to do justice. We're going to get to Micah here in a few uh, weeks and we're going to talk more about this. But God cares about what we do and about what we neglect to do. Our God cares. God, our God sees the sins of commission and omission and our sins of action and inaction. And, and right now in this moment, I just ask, Lord, would you just convict us in our hearts and lives? Um, this is why I believe, by the way, that, that it is so important for each and every one of us to have regular times of confession um, that we have before the Lord where we can just come to the Lord and ask that the Spirit would just work in us, reveal things, that we can bring it to, to the Lord. And let me just say one more thing before we move on here. Um, this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus died for your sin, all of it. All of it. Um, the sin because you do things that you shouldn't, and the sins that you do not do things that you should. All of the sins of your action and all of the sins of your inaction, Christ took that on himself on the cross, all of it, so that now as his people, we can know forgiveness. We can walk in forgiveness. So that now we can be obedient, not to earn our salvation, but because we are saved. This is the power of the gospel. But we learn here as we slip on the shoes of, of the Edomites, that, that one, our God hates pride. And two, that our God cares about in the things that we do and the things that we neglect to do. So let's put on one more pair of shoes. Um, we've put on the shoes of the historian. We've uh, slipped on the shoes of the Edomites. Lastly, I want to invite us to slip on the shoes of God's people to see uh, Obadiah from the perspective of God's people. This is a book, Obadiah is a book of great hope for God's people. Great hope. Um, now, will there be judgment for the people of God for the things that they have done and the things that they have failed to do? Yes. Yes, there will. Absolutely. As Obadiah uh, says in, in verse 15, um, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. And in a couple weeks, we're going to look at Zephaniah, and we're going to be talking about that in much more detail. Um, but the Lord is perfectly just, and it's not that the people of God are exempt from, from judgment. In fact, if we think about this deeply, um, if the people of God were exempt from the judgment of God, then, then Jesus, then the work of Christ would not be necessary at all. It, it, the work of Jesus wouldn't even be needed. Um, but the truth of God, the truth is that, that Christ is our only hope because it's only in and through Christ that our God is the just justifier of his people. See, the question is not whether or not um, the, the, there will be judgment for our sin as the people of God. That's not the question. 
The question is, who is going to bear it? Who is going to bear it? As the hymn says, my sin, uh, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I will bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. See, the gospel says there is going to be judgment for your sin, all of it. And Jesus took all of it. That's the gospel. There will be perfect judgment for the people of God. But in this, there is incredible hope, hope in Christ and hope in the grace of God. And in Obadiah, As we put on the shoes of God's people, there are at least two timeless truths that I want us to see as we look at this. The first is this. God will bring justice for his people. God will bring justice for his people. There is something in us that I believe has been placed in us by our creator to long for justice, to, to, to cry out for it, to see what is wrong be made right, to, to, to see things be made right. We cry out for this. I believe it's in us. And, and I believe as the people of God, that sometimes this, this, this cry in our heart for justice can be difficult for at least two reasons. One is that we're surrounded by injustice. I mean, we live in a fallen world and things aren't the way they should be, right? That's number one. But then number two is that as Christians, so often we are called to turn the other cheek when we are wronged. To not lash back out and get even when we are wrong. Uh, We are called as Christians to trust that the Lord will go before us, will fight for us, will defend us. And as Obadiah shows us the way, our God defends his people. Our God comes to the defense of of his people. He seeks justice for his people. He does not forget his children. He does not forget. Um, You hear me? Our God is better at fighting our battles than we are. Do you trust him? Do you trust that God is your defense? Do you trust that God will be your justice? Do you trust him? Because when you believe from the bottom of your heart that God is going to bring justice for you, then you can rest. Even when wronged, even in the face of persecution, you can rest, you can count it all joy, you can love your enemy, you can pray for your enemy, you can follow Christ's example when you understand this. And as we put ourselves in the shoes of God's people, as we read Obadiah, we are reminded that our God fights for his people, that he cares for his people, that he will make things right. He will bring justice for his people. Praise God for that. The, the second thing that we see here as we place our shoe, ourselves in the, in the shoes of God's people is that we are reminded that the people of God have unshakable hope. Unshakable hope. 
I want us to look at the way that Obadiah ends, uh, starting in verse 19. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. Those are they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of people of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. You hear what he's doing here, church? All of the people that have been scattered throughout are being called back and, 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 and called back to the land. He says, saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. God is calling his people. The people who have faced destruction, who have been scattered and, and taken into captivity. This is a powerful reminder that of how it all ends as God brings them back. Church, it all ends, just a spoiler, a spoiler alert for, for everything. It all ends with the salvation of the people of God. That's how it ends. For the Jewish people, they would be conquered, sit into captivity, scattered. This does happen. Yet, as Obadiah reminds them, their God had not abandoned them, forgotten them, and he, will, and he was going to restore them. He was going to restore them. More than that, though, you get this incredible image here of the kingdom of God, the perfect kingdom of God coming down, the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth and our God ruling and reigning. It ends with the kingdom of God is the Lord's. I mean, you get this image here of for God's people of this unshakable hope that no matter what we are facing in the present, no matter what today looks like, uh, no matter what we're facing right now, we know how this ends. We know that we are his, that our hope is in him. We know that we cannot, that our hope cannot be shaken. We know this. This is a message that we need to hold on to today, that we need to cling to today because there is so much uncertainty that we are facing today in 2020. And many of us are facing difficult things. Many of us are facing trials right now. Many of us are even, there are some of us who are even facing persecution on account of Christ. Yet we know how this ends. We know how this ends. Salvation is yours through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ. And as we place ourselves in the, in the shoes of the people of God, we are reminded of our unshakable hope. And, and listen, I, I, as we end, I must say this, okay? As we end, I, I have to say this. Not only are we invited to step into the shoes of the people of God as we are reading and trying to understand Obadiah, but in a very real sense, church, in a very real sense, the whole purpose of the gospel as a whole is to literally invite you to step into the shoes of God's people 
by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are invited to step into these shoes in reality. Jesus Christ died for you so that by faith you can step into these shoes. So that you can become a member of the body of Christ, a part of his family. So that you can become the people of God. This is yours through Christ. This is the offer of the gospel church this morning. So let's respond together. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to your word and we are reminded of the great invitation that you have made through your son, Jesus Christ, that you have invited us into your family through the work of your son. Right now in this moment, I just pray that you would bring that realization to our hearts. For those who are, have not yet responded to the gospel, who have not re- yet responded to Christ, I pray that now is the time that we slip on the shoes for the first time. I, I pray that you would cause us to just respond, to cry out as we realize what you have done for us, that your great and unfailing love for us demonstrated while we were yet sinners through the work of Christ on the cross. Lord, we come to you in gratitude for what you have done. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.